Mm. Also, because the answer is, you know, yeah. how much research do you need? What, what, you know, we don't need to do the research. It's going to be interesting. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a challenge. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> it, I'll leave it in. <laughs> I know what the outtake will be. <laughs> what the Welcome to the People's Countryside podcast. Thanks for being with us. We will debate three important environmental issues per episode with a special guest. And we'll be dealing with serious world-scale problems. We approach each question in an open and friendly manner as though we're sat together in a pub talking with friends. Our ultimate aim is to take this idea on stage in front of a live audience as the People's Countryside live and unscripted. So sit back and listen as the conversation unfolds. And remember, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter where you can share a question you'd like us to discuss and also find out more about our wider work at thepeoplescountryside.co.uk. Welcome to the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast with me, William Manklow, and me, Stuart the Wild Man Mabbott. And our guest today is... Trio Watson from Clear Space Me. So thanks for joining us on what is going to be episode 11 and um, our viewing figures or our listening figures I should say has been, have been pretty encouraging so far Stuart. How, we've got, how many have we got so far over I, the 10 I, episodes we've had? Uh, I think we've got some uh, 1,150, something like that. And at the moment it's only 9 episodes we've actually had released yeah. isn't it? So number 10 isn't actually out, even out yet so no. really pleased with that. So thanks very much for for listening and we hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far. Um, for those of you, maybe this is the first time you've, you've heard us, you've listened to this podcast, what are we? Uh, we're a group um, working to improve the state of, environment, of the state of the environment by giving it a voice. Now we want to take this podcast format uh, onto uh, stage as an experiential show, as live and unscripted. It's going to be quite a big stage show, isn't it, Stuart? Do you want to expand on that? Because it's such a big idea, isn't it? Well, well got... yeah. I mean, uh, we want to scale it up to venues like the O2 um, in London. Uh, we want to, uh, through it, we want to improve the sustainability of theatre culture, so the actual venues themselves become more sustainable. And ultimately, we want to direct all the work towards the seas and oceans. Which is what I've been working on this week that I haven't. I'm not going to reveal. Um, yeah, Stuart's got, Stuart's got this this, um, this this secret going on in the background, which mm. we're going to find out about. I'm sure. In due go, course, it'll, it'll, everything will come out in the washes. They say, right? Um, but yeah, we want to take this on to a, a, a stage show. But we also want to be. We're looking for funding to go on uh, international visits to to live or to be with indigenous groups of people to understand how they live and learn from them and bring that knowledge back to us and, under, and actually understand how that could actually enrich our lives and help us. Help us be more sustainable. Help us be more sustainable. Um, 
one thing we're also looking forward right now, and it's going to be happening this month, is we're going to be approaching Acast. Now, I'm going to pass this again over to Stuart. Would you want to just talk about why, why particularly Acast and who are they? Acast are a Swedish uh, distribution company um, uh, that specialise in podcasts. They basically link advertisers uh, with uh, who, who want to sponsor podcasts but don't have access to podcasters. So Acast have a, a stable of advertisers ready to go and they're building up a stable of podcasters with new material and linking the two. But uh, we don't want to just have adverts just whopped in, do we? We no. want to have adverts that uh, solve some of the questions we're debating. So, yeah, when we're, when we're going through the podcast today, we've got three really good questions today from all three of us today. Um, that we, part of the, yeah, like you say, part of the um, advertising is that we'll actually they'll be aligned with an action. Mm. That actually, something that would actually enable you to, to, to do that action. Mm. So, yeah, that's basically who we are so should we go straight into the first question which is yours i've got i've got it in a different order here yeah well so I'm, you've got you've got it in what order i've got you me trio well i'm going to go straight into trio's question oh well, that messes me up then right okay so <laughs> <laughs> it depends on who's leading the podcast right Stuart? yeah okay fair enough so yeah we're going to go straight into your question trio okay sure um <clears throat> the question and do you want to read that out yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Um, my question is, since decluttering, which is the work that I do, um, is essentially an opportunity to catch up on personal decision-making we haven't got around to, how can we practically apply and introduce permaculture principles to those everyday decisions? Which I agree sounds like a mouthful. We've had longer questions. Have you? Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Usually, okay. usually sometimes Stuart's questions go on that actually evolve three or four questions yeah. in one go. Yeah. <laughs> my my, uh, my uh, understanding of permaculture, I wrote it down, mm. um, and I may be wrong, is basically permaculture tries to mimic and maintain protest, uh, processes that are already happening in nature. Is that the essence of it? Kind of, mm. yeah. If, if you were going to say that... Um, when somebody invites me into their home and says, please help me declutter... If we said um, something like, um, if I was going to come onto your farm and help you declutter mm. instead of into your home, we'd immediately be looking at a physical environment, but also we'd be looking at the actions and behaviours in it and how people live and also what grows there naturally. So mm. things like, you know, is it somewhere where there's a lot of rain? Is it somewhere where it's very windy and exposed? Blah, 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 blah. So a lot of the environment of of that life is kind of very naturally caught up in the the language of permaculture as mm. an agricultural process so i'm interested in bringing that kind of idea of an agricultural environment or a kind of a a life um into the whole decluttering thing saying so i'll come and declutter your farm mm. <laughs> where actually you're not on a farm but this is your life is your farm kind mm. of thing um, and I, I quite enjoy that. Um, but I think it's also what's important for me, I think, is to try and do work for clients that is sustainable so that it doesn't all fall apart the minute I walk out the door, because that's not any help to anybody. Mm. Really. But also to try and do as little harm as possible, because decluttering, if, if done wrongly, can be a bit ruthless, can be hurtful in some ways. Mm. People can feel a bit vulnerable. 
Um, and I'm quite tempted to see what we can pick up from what natural processes already exist in nature to, mm. to be gentle and sustaining. Mm. I think there's a lot that we can learn from those processes mm. and bring to decluttering. So that's a relatively new thing for me, but I did have a kind of, kind of like, whoa, mm. wonderful moment when I went to stay with a friend. I was going to say, is the basis of permaculture then really uh, to be as self-sufficient as possible? No. Um, permaculture is about um, understanding how systems are um, designed and supported and evolve mm. in a physical um, growing environment. But you could say um, an office is a physical growing environment. If you're growing your business, for example, mm. then um, that's as alive as a, fl as a plant is. Um, so does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, so the, the bigger so the, the, comp the company gets. The company gets, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you could say that metaphorically speaking, um, these ideas can still be brought to bear even if you don't actually have anything physically growing in your office. Um, you still have ideas growing. So I've got, I think from my own understanding of permaculture, it's always been this whole idea of a, of a cyclical thing that you actually, uh, whenever I think of permaculture, I, I always think of the allotment idea so you've always mm. got something growing it's always a it's always a cyclical mm. thing rather than you going somewhere consuming it and then ha ha being grown for you and there's, there's no there doesn't there's no cyclical thing around that is there mm. um i think for me that the biggest takeaway of all of it has been the idea that there is no such thing as waste because whatever is the the output of one process is by design, and this is where permaculture comes into it, the, the input and the food for another process. And I think that's kind of where permaculture right. kind of floats my boat big time, mm. um, is that on an emotional level that's tremendously possible too, or in terms of clutter, you could say you've, you've managed to generate a huge amount of stuff here that you don't want anymore, but we could be using this as food for another organisation if we were going to donate it somewhere or mm. we could use it as food for a whole lot of thinking about how your learning has brought you to this space and what you want to do with that experience. Mm. So, um, because one of the things that I do in, in my work is actually coaching as well as decluttering because the stuff tells so much of a story about how we're living and what we're doing that, that you can't just say it's only things. It's also about our lived experience and our memories and our feelings and our hopes for the future and all those things. Can you see now why yeah. the more permaculture I get, yeah. the better it gets. Mm. You know? And if you and if you don't do it, it just feels like something rather kind of house and garden, where Hello mm. magazine will come and photograph your fluffy slippers and go, oh, mm. how wonderful! It's like so much mm. more there. I was going to ask the question though, going going back back to the start of this question. So since decluttering is essentially an opportunity to catch up on personal decision making, what really struck struck me there, mm. a part of the maybe it's part of the permaculture process is to actually start the decluttering before you even actually buy something in the first Absolutely. place. So that's yeah. your, your initial yeah, step. Yeah. So, you know, that there's this rule of, um, there's a couple of rules that I've had, is that if I see something that I really like, for example, mm. I will give it, a few, I'll give it three days. Mm. And if I still want it, I'll go and buy it. Mm. Or there's the 20 minute, there's a 20 minute, $20 rule. It's an American idea. Whether If you can replace something within 20 if you can get it within 20 minutes and you can buy it for less than 20 20 dollars or 20 pounds mm. you don't probably don't need it right mm. that minute anyway because you can easily get it easily get mm. to it mm. so i suppose that that's a starting point for the 
good for is that a starting point for putting well, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a starting point because you only really discover it when you're halfway through. Right. But yeah. certainly yeah, yeah. it's part of how um the process of decluttering does does kind of embed itself in, in how we live because um if you realise that, you know, I mean, I have a terrible tendency for over-shopping for toiletries. I think so do most people in the country, actually. Have far millions more bottles of shampoo than I could possibly use in one go, but somehow seem to keep buying them. You especially get this in hotels, don't you? In they? hotels and stuff. Yeah. Then the idea of going, OK, well, you know, I've learnt now that I overbuy shampoo, and I know that I have enough. So I could say I have completely satisfied any outstanding needs for shampoo. I've, I've worked that out now. Mm. I could just not buy the shampoo at least for another six months, you know, and that, you know, there's a certain amount of, there is a conversation with ourselves that we can have with our clutter, and, you know, you could just listen to yourself and go, hey, I don't need any more shampoo, don't buy the shampoo. Yeah, I, was gonna say, I was going to ask Stuart, actually, you know, is, this, is, there a, is there a case here sometimes of maybe paying more for higher quality, for less, because that's also one thing of, of permaculture or just being sustainable, is that you will actually pay more for what you buy, and then it will last longer. Mm. Well, not always. You not know. always. Yeah. Not always yeah. at all. I, mean, I think I think it's more about looking at it as a as a, a way of systems work um, rather than this is the single use of a single mm. product because um, it's kind of it's the way in which things kind of um, fuel each other as processes that matter um, and yeah so some things will kind of like tools will wear out and get broken so if you buy a better quality tool in the first place then it won't break so fast mm. um <clears throat> but that's kind of not really what the what i'm looking at it's more kind of a question of how do we approach what we're trying to do so i have this lovely poster of david holmgren's um 12 principles which i've lost i've, I've left that's it on the table can i go and grab <laughs> get it i've had it sure it's the closest um okay this is this is my um my i really love this poster it's a poster of david David Holmgren's 12 permaculture principles and he's got 12 principles and I'm just going to grab one okay and one principle happens to be observe and interact so that's one of the first permaculture principles that he describes and um, I like that because it's not so much an instruction about what to buy but it just says before you do anything just look at it and see what it's already doing hmm. and then interact with what is already happening which you know from a decluttering point of view is kind of like it's Marie Kondo or mm. not Marie Kondo <laughs> it's like you know Marie Kondo will say I have my method I'm going to turn up do you boom, kind of thing permaculture says actually what is happening in this environment can we spend a bit of time observing it first before we come in with a theory about what we think will help. And making a more observant. We make a more, observant, you know, slower so, one when you yeah. respond to what's already there. So you're paying attention. The the, the logo, I assume that's a tree. That's but a man a tree, yeah. That looks like a mushroom cloud to me. Does it? Well, yeah. it's a dark mind. Yeah, <laughs> looks like an atom bomb. Well, I think it's, it's a little man. It's got a head. There's a little man with mm. kind of sticking his hands in the air. Yeah. Or something. Anyway, the, 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 David, the David Holmgren thing has a whole bunch of um, little... Um, images that are supposed to kind of help you remember the various different principles so yeah but actually i have to say there's there's so much in here it's it's so rich that we couldn't probably cover it all today a quote uh, that i i heard somebody locally say about permaculture and i'll say it was it, it helps us move from being de dependent consumers to responsible producers in, in, in you know um which i thought was interesting that, that uh, phil pritchard i don't know if you know him 
he's a permaculture guy in Oxford, uh, and uh, he, he came out of that. So, would it really help us, uh, this mindset of being responsible producers? Then? I think that's talking, taking the farm metaphor mm. too far. Right. Um, I, I'm not expecting anybody at home to be growing mm. anything. I was going to say, is that really relatable it's to not, it's not, the It's not how person. I would apply it. I was looking at it more, produce, the, what we produce, as in the debris, the waste. So instead of just being saying, well, we've got to consume, got to consume, mm. we're not necessarily producing the raw, the product. Mm. We're what, it's what we're producing from using the product. That's what I'm thinking of. Right. But, but what, yeah. what we're producing is, is our, our life's offering as we live, whatever mm. that is, whether it's kindness, a welcome, you know, making somebody a piece of toast, mm. whatever. Um, and so the responsible producer bit is, is about saying, you know, we were extremely aware of what went into that moment to make mm. the toast. Because <laughs> so yeah. we had some toast this morning. Um, so, um, <laughs> and a cup of coffee. And a right. cup of coffee, yeah. So we know what went into the coffee um, to make the coffee available and we decided to have some... Are we totally aware milk. of how the coffee got to us there? Are we totally aware of how the bread got to us? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you did. But anyway, things like, you know, the choice of oat milk above other things, you know. Yeah. You know the, this is what I'm saying about the responsible producer mm. is that you... You see that you know the moment of the moment of creating food has a story of everything that brought us to that point, and then how we move forward with that. I mean, it, this opens up uh, mm. about you know the whole point of it. From what I can see, is sustainable living. Yeah. And um, and uh, but we're in a very consumerist society, so it, it, do we actually have enough time to change our mindset away from being obsessed consumers to reverse climate change you see this is where i think i'm at a really exciting time mm. for my business mm. because we are absolutely on the cusp of the crazed consumers who were consuming because that's what we were told to do mm. um mrs thatcher mrs thatcher mm. um and all that lot god bless her <laughs> lord lover and all the people who who are now going hey we have a, a climate emergency on our hands and we have to change fast in order to survive but they're living in houses full of stuff mm. and i'm going let's work with what we have lived with you know where are we moving to how is what we have going to service you know what could we be sharing with the communities that we don't need um what could we be um releasing from our own emotional burden of stuff that we've been beating ourselves over the head about that it's just time just to let that go you know and not, I mean, I'm not going on about that because it's no harm it's no benefit to anybody and it only harms us i was going to that you're asking questions in a way that yeah. go back to the original question in the first place so how mm -hmm. can we practically apply permaculture principles to everyday decision yeah so how can we how can we do that you know and this, we, we we always want to offer to somebody who's listening to the podcast right now what actions can we take to be more sustainable? I'd also like to add to that. We need to ma make a make actions to make ourselves more sustainable. But what order do we need to make those actions in? Or doesn't it matter? Well, now, this mm. is where you see permaculture would give you a really good mm. lead on that. Mm. Because it says, in what order, the order would be to design from pattern to detail. So if you think about um, um, anything like a spider's web or something... Um, when you build a spider's web, you start with the generic spoke thingy. Mm. 
and um, the the detail kind of of the web comes smaller. So mm. that basically helps us go well. Actually, when it comes to designing in our new home, a sustainable space, working with permaculture philosophies that have been studied by environmentalists for a long time, so I don't have to reinvent the wheel here, so mm. it's already been invented kind of thing. Mm. We can go, well, we'll start with the basic shape of, of what we're trying to do and get the basic structure first and then gradually build in the detail. And allow things like, you know, moss takes time to grow. If you want moss to grow on a stone, you paint the stone with yogurt. You know, mm. it, you know things don't necessarily happen very, very fast. No quick fix, right? There are no, well, there are sometimes, but you I know. I saw a woman in a house yeah. by once painting her face with yogurt because I reckon moss would grow on her face. She was painting her face yogurt? Somebody, a woman I saw in a house by, she was putting yogurt on her face. Are you Which sure it was yogurt? Yeah, I think so. Cucumber. Is, I think it's an insight into Stuart's uh, past life, I think. Yeah. <laughs> going, to the, going to the peculiar places. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nick, I think we, we've covered this question quite well. The one thing I would like to say, that we're talking about permaculture, but are, are there any other systems we could run alongside it, not just permaculture, or is permaculture the answer? I think permaculture. Just, it seems it, it feels like there's a, a there's a relationship between permaculture and also just sustainability, your own mm. self self sufficiency, mm. and this whole thing, our whole idea of using something and reusing it and reusing it as much as you can use it, mm. using because res resources have gone into creating whatever you're using. So mm. we've got actually right now we've got a light on the living room which don't necessarily need on so that mm. can be switched off you know mm. so it's, it's partly how isn't it but it's also about you've got two lights on isn't it? it's also about it? systems exactly, design yeah. PCs on yeah. I was, I'm, I'm going on some training a bit of time in the future with a woman who's who's doing some community permaculture design where they're trying to find a use for the coffee grounds that come from all the coffee shops all over the city because they've got lots and lots of coffee shops all mm. grounding their coffee, producing coffee grains like nobody's business. Mm. And somebody's going, what can we do with the waste coffee grains to introduce them into a new growth process? So they've been doing some permaculture design over knackered coffee grains. Yeah. And I think that's that's partly where I would like to do some more work in discussing what I do with people's homes, is to kind of go, how can we build in some more positive loops Mm. Well, um, I think that would be a nice way to kind of move with that. I mean, one, one thing I found is, just recently, I'm not going to advertise them, but there's a major high street uh, clothes retailer that actually offered to take your um, used textiles, yeah. and that, that is sent to a company in Germany who either repurpose it yeah. or as in uh, new clothes. Yeah. Or well, the basic level, since, it's since they're doing a thing that we rather approve of, can we say who they are? Mm. Well, it's, it's not a sponsored episode, is it? No, but it, no. so yeah, so H and M do right, it. Okay, yeah. They're a Swedish company. I yeah. might be wrong, yeah. but basically they. Um, well done, H and M. In reply, they, in, in in response to that, they offer you a, a voucher, a money off voucher, oh, uh, yeah. which is quite good. But the actual, mm. the eventual outcome of that is like so new potentially new clothes, but the, the sort of the worst outcome, I suppose, is not the best way of putting it, but. It's made into insulation for cars. The actual is shredded and used for insulation for cars. Yeah. So, another thing that's another another way. That's, is, that, is that a version of permaculture, or am I am I completely it's, misinterpreting? It's, it's this. I mean, permaculture is, in a sense, the way of designing things so there is no waste. Yeah. Um, that yeah. things continue to sustain and and live on what they have already generated. Well, there's waste, and the waste is the waste in inverted commas, but the waste is used for something else. Waste becomes food. Yeah. A, a compost yeah. heap is a, is, a, is exactly. a small version yeah. of a, a permaculture, right? Exactly. Or the yeah. most obvious version. Yeah. Yeah. 
The uh, that conversation evolves into a whole new area. But, uh, what I'd like to ask is, uh, listener, listeners, listener, if you're listening, how would you like to hear this podcast evolve? Because it has evolved over these eleven episodes. William is now leading them. Yeah, so the the podcast it, I think will naturally evolve over yeah. time anyway. You know, when it, when when this goes onto the stage, it's going to be a different different yeah. different thing entirely. My ego will drive it. <laughs> But there will always be there always there's always room for, for for change. So if there's anything you uh, I suppose any specifically hot topic you'd like us to discuss or a question you want to pose to us, um, you can send that to us. How would they send it to us, Stuart? Uh, email William, uh, which is peoplescountryside at gmail dot com. Uh, you can find out more about um, our big project. This is a big project, the wider work we do at peoplescountryside.co.uk. We're also on them yeah, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. So, what's the second question, William? So, the second question uh, is going to be my question. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad it's your question because it's the order I got it in. <laughs> my question. Um, I I was actually found this on the South Bank of in London, uh, the South Bank of the River. There was a uh, photographic exhibition very close to Tower Bridge, actually. I read recently that awareness is a critical first step towards successful conservation of any species. Is this true for only the scientists and decision makers, or is it also relevant for the public as a whole? I mean, does it, I will boil this down to, does awareness in, in itself equal action on a local level? I was thinking about... Uh the word awareness and uh, it relates to this secret little project I'm working on on the side and um, awareness even uh, about the potential catastrophic predictions of what's going to happen to the environment um, allows the natural process of our mind our consciousness to consider problems and then come up with solutions you know, I mean, so awareness of how bad the environmental situation actually is. It doesn't have to be scary, but it's a process to allow us to come up with solutions. So you're talking about a drip feed then, aren't you? A drip, be a drip feed could be a complete flood. You don't know. We, 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 with the environmental thing, we're trying to look on the positive side a lot of times. But if we actually look at how bad it could be, it can actually open the floodgates to some whole new ways of thinking very quickly. I mean, I'll go on, go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm always aware when, when change comes that it brings with it a huge amount of anxiety. I think most yeah. people don't welcome change, really. Yeah. Um, and so when we're talking about responding to change, we, we do need to introduce very strong structures for managing anxiety and moving forward with a measure of optimism. So I yeah. immediately, even while you were talking about that, want to flag up... Yeah. Positive things like the work of John Macy and Chris Johnston, for example, who are kind of saying, we can have active hope. We can face what's in front of us, yeah. no matter how scary it is, and not go crazy. Um, I heard the phrase the other day, imaginative hope. Imaginative hope. Well, there's another yeah. one, yeah. But we're also saying that hope is an active process. You know, yeah. not necessarily going to go... Um, oh, I'm sure it'll be all right, fingers crossed. Again, it will be all right as long as we are engaged and and tackling this. You know? do we the need the ostrich position is not going to bring us hope. But do we need to be engaged as a whole species? That's the, No, the, just a critical mass of us. Critical mass, yeah. Because the people yeah. who aren't engaged will just follow anyway. Yeah, But exactly. they're part of the system then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about herd mentality here, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, 
I'm kind of think there's a there's a statistic of something that there there only needs to be, I don't know something like fifteen percent of of people to actually positively agitate for mm. something before it begins to happen. It, you it, don't need to have a massive critical mass for things to begin to be. I can't. I'm awful at quoting bits of information and then forgetting the source, the name, the date, the, the you know. Yeah, 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 so they're yeah, just yeah. very winning lines that kind of come out of nowhere. You're so, right that before yeah. we bring in these, uh, the where, the awareness of, you know, the situ- environmental situation we, we face, the truth behind that, mm. we need to have structures in place. Because the process, so when you actually face, whether it's decluttering or the environment or whatever, uh, I, 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 I just looked at my own reactions. You've got shock, horror, fear, sadness, and then hope comes out of that because mm. you faced all that. Mm. You yeah. know? I think what often, I mean, what I find a lot with my clients is that that horrible stuff comes up and they get overwhelmed, they get into a log jam and paralysis. You know? So I think we have to accept that part of human nature is actually to, to deal with change rather badly. You know, and and self compassion immediately, and say, well, you know, we we accept that we don't deal with change very well. Mm. So part of dealing with climate change is actually completely getting on board with ourselves as kind of shitty human beings. I'm not using being the species. Being the species that we are. I think we're going to have to edit out what I just said. Um, Oh, we've we've had we've had (laughs) words in the last the last episode. Well, you know that that we are the failing human beings that we are. And work with that because that's what we've got. That's what we're given. Um, and and you know, we part of the work that I'm actually really interested in is actually the emotional side to responding to huge existential fears. You know, of how are we going to survive as an individual, as a species, as a community, as a family? You know, on the on the big and the small scale. I think you know. Some, I'm really tempted. I've really noticed to myself anyway that when the questions get really really big. My desire is to really, to get really, really small because mm. I kind of feel I can't possibly respond with the kind of hugeness of Extinction Rebellion or any of those things. As much as I love what they're doing, I just kind yeah. of feel actually, it feels like my response feels like it needs to be much more uh, we, centred. We yeah. touched upon this in the last, the last episode. Uh, one of the questions had, had um, mentioned things like running out of water in 25 years' time, the mountain and the ice caps in 20 years... It, that they're they're really big things, aren't mm-hmm. they? You know that that how can I as an individual help stop that happening? And the other, I suppose, there was also the question is, you know, their predictions and predictions can often can be wrong, of course, as well. So mm-hmm. there's two sides they to look at be, it, and they can be wrong positively and wrong negatively. Okay. One of the things that I really like about um, the work of Extinction Rebellion is that one of the things they encouraged activists to do is to talk about climate as if it was an emergency. So to act, you know, in your everyday life as if it was an emergency. Because part of the problem is just the kind of collective sleepwalking that's going on. And all it takes is someone to go, whoa, you know, in front of a car. And then people, oh, 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 car, (laughs) you know. So, you know, to actually just, to to physically engage with that reality. It's a bit like when you're in, I mean, we're in Oxford, so this is a bit of an Oxford-centric thing. So if you're walking down, you see people walking down Queen Street in Oxford Mm. and they don't know there's a bus behind them until Mm. the very last minute when they they toot the horn. It's like, oh! (laughs) Yeah, it's that shock. shock, Could that shock then lead to action, potentially? Well, I think, hopefully it stops them being under the car. You know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
Um, there's, a lot of me- there's a lot of metaphors flying around here, isn't there? Uh, I'm under a big the bus, metaphor girl. Under the car. I'm sorry, I'm a major metaphor <laughs> the, um, yeah. so, Something else that's uh, running alongside this question for me, and I wrote this down, was um, the scientific and the scientists that are out there. I've been reading uh, quite a bit of stuff lately, and uh, a lot of the scientists seem to err on the side of the more positive and palatable outcomes. Uh, and, and they're seems to be, from my reading of some papers, that there's a scientific reluctance at times to actually research more about what could happen if there are these predicted mass extinctions. What drives that reluctance to research the really, what could, the really bad polarised end of this? Well, is it there? Is it scientific peer pressure, or yeah, is it? I don't think so. Or is I, it their own personal fears? No, I actually really believe that um, it's because we kind of know that doom mongering doesn't motivate positive change a lot of the time. Okay. So, mm. also because the answer is, you know, yeah. how much research do you need? What what? You know, we don't need to do the research. You know. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a challenge. Right. <laughs> okay, I'll leave it in. <laughs> so, but actually, you know, the research that we need to do is actually how can we um, engage with what we already have to look beyond our current phase of functioning, which is very fossil dominated, fossil fuel dominated, and very consumerist. And, and short-termist in every possible way, mm. um, and and actually start thinking in a kind of a longer-term way. You know, it is you know potentially a real invitation to a much better, lovely way of living if people can get on board. So I'm thinking of Louis McNamara. Actually, is another writer who's done a lot of stuff around actually how we think, being part of our response to climate change. Is it is it scaremongering though? Um, talking about how bad it could be and putting things in um, mitigations in place, being prepared because it's just uh, go back to the question it's awareness. Mm. Is it scaremongering to have a contingency if things get really, really, really bad, or is that irresponsible not to have a contingency? I was going to say as well that you know, this whole thing of it getting really, really bad um, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not like turning a light switch on. It's not going to be one day it's going to be like this and the next day it's going to be terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a continuous, yeah. gradual... I mean, even over 10 years, it's a gradual... Very gra- it's, a, it's a very fast process in the world, but in a, in a, in a human mm. lifespan, it's a great gradual process still. Mm. So are we actually just going to get more and more used to it and adapt and adapt yeah, and adapt? That's well, I think... I, I see it differently, actually. I think we've had a lot of little rehearsals lately which have been very, very telling. Mm. So the first rehearsal has been Brexit, where we've watched as a country how our government has been completely unable to negotiate and guide us through a single portion of societal change. They have really ooh, beep, beeped up this this moment very badly. You know, people think we can think the the government is unable to deliver the change that we needed as a society and our consequently we're very divided. So that's, that's a first piece of rehearsal we've learned to don't bother expecting the government to make it okay because they don't know how. And then, you know, that was, the, that was my first little kind of rehearsal with this. Um, and then the next bit has been, um, another rehearsal has been um, with my Holmgren's principles kind of going, 
actually we already have a lot of knowledge, a lot of skills. It's much more about applying the wisdom we have already built up mm. to situations that we're already in. So what I think what's really helpful work to do is to join the dots mm. between... Um, we're more than capable we're of doing We're more than capable of doing that. And actually, it's conversations like we're having on now. Mm. Like I say, we're not actually asking people to buy anything. We're asking them to kind of connect the brain cell about how they think about farming with the brain cell about how they think about furniture design. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing yeah. is, I mean, before the podcast, as mm. I said on the BBC this morning, they're actually the, the environment agency are talking about the, the environment in a very, very different way because they announced this morning that, that some of the coastal population of Britain is probably going to have to move inland en masse. And it's the first time, really, in the last few weeks, you're starting to hear, instead of trying to reverse climate change, but you're hearing the phrase adapting to it. Mm. You know, by adapting to it, you could actually reverse it. Because it goes there's the whole thing of adapt, adapt, yeah. adapt, right? Mm. I mean, um, that, that's my, my big bugbear at the moment. We're, um, we're so focused on reversing our impact. And I just think that the, the focus should be on adapting. Because, you know, if, if, the, if things are way better than we predict, you know, we're ready. If things are way worse than we, we expect, we're ready. Mm. I think it's something about just... Um, I can't remember whether, actually, whether you've said it in your question or whether we... Are we, we haven't got to your question. Are we kind of sneaking into Stuart's question? No. No? no. I think the two are very similar. We're there's kind of, there's yeah. a similarity. Okay. But yeah, they are very similar. I'll save what I was going to say for your question. I always find with the questions that we have that they... There was generally a yeah, common the, running theme yeah. through them. Yeah. I think one well, the person who prompts the first question, the second person finds one that actually sort of fits, and then the third one does something completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's that's. I'll just read that question out again. So it was something I read recently that awareness is a critical first step towards successful conservation of any species. Is this true for only the scientists and decision makers, or is it also relevant to the public as a whole? Say, as you're listening to this podcast, we're actually recording this in my flat, so um, you might hear things like planes outside. I think we had a, a, a van reversing outside. Yeah, the you, postman normally arrives. The postman sometimes arrives. Sometimes you might hear my, hear my cat as well. So yeah. we're, we're, we're recording this in a very sort of personal space, so it makes it makes yeah. for a very warm it's conversation. It's genius in action. That's okay. what it is. It's so anyway, where were we? Um, yeah. Awareness, yeah, we need to get out of this sleepwalking thing, don't we really? Mm-hmm. The whole thing of sleepwalking into disaster. Anything that, that helps us kind of reconnect with the urgency around us and the anxiety that we have and go, oh dear, there's a problem, maybe we should kind of start coping. You know, bring on the coping and not the kind of denying or the sleep, you know. Then, then we'll be all, we'll, we are more likely to be all right once we start doing the coping. Yeah. But we haven't quite really started the coping yet, have we? Well, we the, the phrases are starting to come out in the media in the last yeah. few days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, last time, William, uh, one of us asked, uh, I think it may have been me, what changes have listeners made um, when listening to this podcast on a regular basis? Um, and I had a... Have you made any changes yourself, Stuart? We are doing a lot more editing. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, no, not that I can. I'm learning a lot. My awareness is increased a lot, 
Um, which in and time will change me. Is that just by the fact that the guests that we have had have been so eclectic, haven't they? From yeah, but they, they drill down into things as well. And they drill down, they look at things from a different angle and different perspective and they'll bring different questions and they'll have different points of view as well. So it's a good way of listening to what you're talking about, talking about permaculture um, has definitely already changed my own knowledge. But we have had a response from a listener about how they've made a change in their life. And who's that from? Sorry. And it's from Per Blixt, who is from Sweden. Yeah, that's a very Swedish name. Per is a man, I assume. Yeah, definitely. Per is uh, a Peter in Swedish. Uh, and uh, messaged me uh, via Facebook, actually. And he said, I'm questioning where scientists are putting their focus in the pursuit of scientific understanding. So he didn't really make a change, but he's questioning what, you know, because we said in a previous podcast, we don't have the answers, and we just hope somebody somewhere is doing the research, yeah. which, which was a dangerous assumption, because it might not be. But he was, uh, he, the, the, what changes happened in him, Pear's mind, is he's questioning what the scientists are putting their focus on. Um, thanks for that. Thanks very much for your, your input there. Trio's got something to say. Trio, do you want to say something? I, I like the sound of that. It sounds like engaging critically, yeah. like the active hopefulness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's where you start kind of, instead of just going, oh, yeah, 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 you begin to really start asking, seeing yourself as part of that discussion. Yeah. You yeah. mentioned the B word earlier, the Brexit word. Mm. And I think you mentioned the F word as well, I remember. Many times. times. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned Brexit earlier, and I think that is all, that's, mm also got people consciously engaged in politics. So that's mm. being consciously actually asking questions about things and, and challenging questions as well is, is a good step. So what, uh, what changes have you made in your life when listening to this podcast on a regular basis? William, how do people contact us? Uh, you can contact us through the, all the social media channels. Well, uh, there's probably a lot more social media channels than I'm not even aware of, but we are on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. You can email us at thepeoplescountryside uh, at gmail.com and you can find more about our wider work at thepeoplescountryside.co.uk. At this point, I'd like to say thanks again for joining us on this, the 11th episode of the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast uh, with myself, William. Uh, me, Stuart, the Wild Man, Mabber. And our guest today, Claire Watson. Hello. Thank you very much. Um, and right now... What are you doing while you're listening to this podcast? We, we're firing a lot of questions at you today, dear listener. Um, yeah, what are you doing right now? Um, we have had one person, and we mention this every time, yeah. that actually paints while they listen to the podcast. Yeah. We still would love to see what, you, what your output is and what your outcomes are. We also mention something else every time, but William hasn't mentioned it yet, so keep listening and see if it slips out. I was going to go straight into the third question. Do you want to mention that, Mr. No, I won't. What, Finland? <laughs> well, See, I, I, I've, not, I've not mentioned it yet. So, no. Yeah. I mean, We're sponsored by the Finnish Tourist Board. It hasn't come up in this episode yet, but I'm sure it will. We're on yeah. to Stuart's question, which is number three. Far away, Stuart. Okay, so it builds on William's previous question. Adapting is the key to success. So why in the West does it appear that we, we don't want to adapt to survive. Trey, when you ask the question, is it just the West or is it more of a human trait? Is that we Well, that's why we want to travel, uh, with spend time with isolated cultures to see if it is a 
universal trait. Are we? Are we a species? That or are we not? Or are we actually trying to uh, adapt? Uh, yeah. yeah. Are we a species that strives to dominate even at the co- our own the cost of mm. to ourselves? I'm. I'm really makes me think of the um, the kind of model of um, a suicidal patient who um, sees his doctor and says, "Oh, the doctor wants to die." And the doctor gives him a pack of cigarettes. And um, so a cigarette at a time, you know, he's going to be a little bit more close to dying. But the doctor's logic is, for as long as this patient is a smoker, they're still around. And for as long as they're still around, there's a chance for them to actually do whatever they need to do, which is probably more long-term and more difficult, to actually make the changes to stop being suicidal and save their life. So actually, by turning a suicidal person into a smoker, you're not necessarily making them more healthy, but you're buying them some time, during which time they hopefully get their shit together, stop being suicidal, and they give up smoking. You know, that actually smoking doesn't necessarily have to be a permanent thing, but actually at that moment, maladaptive and shitty as it is, it's, it's a link to a better place of functioning. So what so would the metaphor said, be then? That my metaphor is that... Well, how, um, would you, how would you change that to... My metaphor would be in terms of um, some of the changes that we're seeing in, in people's behaviours, um, there are some stuff that potentially doesn't look very positive, um, but which is actually about short-term survival stuff. Um, but that is buying us time. The, one of the things I think of is I saw this T-shirt that a woman was wearing in public that said... I like to drink wine, save animals, and something, something, something. I couldn't see the rest of the T-shirt. And I just thought, okay, well, you're not quite there yet, are you, love? Because, <laughs> you know, the amount of climate damage to produce that T-shirt uh, for you to wear so that I couldn't properly read it, um, you know, and make a fashion statement by an organisation that's completely in denial of its role in causing death to climate species in the first place, you know, we can see that we're trying to get our heads around it and we haven't got there yet. So what we do need is that have a fag buy some time coping. Mm. I, I kind of feel it's all right if people are not coping excellently straight away. I, I kind of, I, I feel like I could allow a bit It's more. a process. Like it it really is a right. process and it does take time. So um, anything that's kind of helping people to get their heads around it and do the thinking that's needed. Okay, well, I'm going to approach this from a different way okay, then. Go for it, yeah. You, uh, you said earlier on that scaremongering, uh, you know, isn't necessarily the best way. I want to explore that because mm-hmm. um, it's sort of, uh, you're saying, well, allow people in their own way in their own time. Okay? We haven't got time, so. Yeah, we, we haven't got time. But uh, so I want to explore that. We're, we're focused on finding solutions to reverse um the, the 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 consequences of what we're doing on the environment mm. we're focusing on the assumption more often than not that everything will actually be okay okay yes now isn't it better to indeed try and focus on the remedial uh solutions but to also consider how to sufficiently sustain human civilizations if we actually don't have enough time to reverse the environmental impact we've got. Isn't it better to be doing both? Yeah. You want to be the short answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Course, but, yeah. I, but there seems to be a, 
a lack of that. I'm doing a lot of reading about this, and there does seem to be a lack of getting things in place just in case you know our human civilized civilization as we know it collapses are we in the state at the moment of being just having the knowledge now so we, we more people are becoming more aware of what their actions are what action what is what their actions are what effects their actions are having on on the environment yeah and then you're making those small steps to begin with and those small steps will become bigger they become habit well, a previous guest said when they said i'm, I'm going to say this off air she said because what he said doesn't matter mm-hmm. um because that they said it's too controversial but uh, and i said well I, i'll say it well i'm going to say it in this one you know that it could be i don't know 7.5 billion of us on the planet mm. now we could sustain that number of people if we change the systems but uh if we don't change the systems that population will fall drastically. Now, it could fall down from billions to millions. Mm. Is that potential truth a fear that drives us to not face reality? Well, we've faced it in the past, haven't we, if you go back to prehistory? Yeah, but we've only ever got now, because we're living it now. Yeah, so I can go back to, I was going to say, are we... as a species, and just a species that strives to dominate even at our own expense, yeah. are we actually that sort of species? Is that innate in us? We can be. I mean, when I think of you know the introduction of rationing or the introduction of the welfare state or the introduction That's of the, the NHS, structure we need. In it's the structure we need, and governments can do it. Mm. And when I think of you know Brexit and what our government is completely unable to deliver. It's that sort of thinking right now. So I would certainly say, you know, in the UK, don't ask us anything for the next 10 years. We're not in a good place at the moment, sorry. Yeah. The, the world-changing stuff is going to have to happen from outside the UK because we're just not up to it at the moment. We're having our own little spanner and not up to very much. Um, so let's just kind of look at what they're doing in Sweden and Finland because yeah. those are the people who are going to make the cookie I will say, I will say in, in defence of the UK that we are actually one of the world leaders in sustainable energy production. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, we I heard a stat recently saying that the UK produces a third of its electricity from renewable sources, mm-hmm. and that's going that's only going to increase, which is a great it's stat. Very good. It is very good stat. Yeah. Mm. The there is the other side of that as well that, that there's going to be potentially a coal-fired power station, new one coming online very soon. Uh, so there is there is a funny there is a funny juxtapos- juxtaposition there, isn't there? Yeah. I, 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 the more I think about it, the, the the more I think the solutions are somewhere in the middle. Like as I say, we're we're focused on reversing climate change. We're not looking at like mass reduction in human population, but I think the solutions are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But we're not going to be able to find the middle unless we look at both polarized positions equally fairly and open in an open-minded way well but I, is that scaremongering well i think you're i think you're kind of trying to find there's only one solution i think really there's actually lots of little solutions yeah. do you know the um the story of stuff no. there's a lovely animation of the story of stuff that has the thing about um oh God. anyway you have to google the story of stuff <laughs> and you'll see there's this little animation and in the little animation the the entry points to make change happen at about four or five or six different places in the curve of this animation. So, so actually anywhere where you start to make a change into the, the stuffness um, 
is a place where it's a possible place to start a change. It could be a yeah. small one or a big one. So there's lots of different entry points, and any of them are good. And for some people, that might be preferred than another one. So one person might have a preference for thinking about um, renewable, ener- renewable energy. Somebody else might prefer about thinking about um, product design. Somebody else might prefer about circular economics. Somebody else might prefer... You know, all these things are needed, and they can mm. all be brought to the party, and they don't necessarily... So what you're saying is we all clash. need to start, and start somewhere. Start somewhere. It doesn't have to be the same place. And start with what you're good at and what you enjoy. Why not? How we, how we, how we travel. So if yeah. you're a fit and healthy person... Or distance, you ride a bike or get the yeah. bus rather than driving. Mm. Um, if you need, do you, if you're going, if you're flying, do you really need to take that flight? Mm. You know, there's mm. so taking that the other way then. So we all have to start somewhere, somewhere differently. Mm. Some people will respond to the environmental situation we're in badly if they're scared. Mm. Yeah, mm. but other people will be motivated if they do get a scary message. Mm. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, it all depends on what your life what, situation is and what mm. you, what your motivations are. It's about mobilising people. So not only yeah. do we need to find multiple solutions, we need to find mm. multiple ways of motivating people mm. to care. And different things motivate different people. Yeah. So it's like you're saying, a, mo- a kick up the bum would motivate you. What you yeah. need is some scary shocks. And if you yeah. had some information about how seriously badly we are in trouble (laughs) then maybe that would motivate few people you know that that might motivate some people it might really demotivate some others might other be you know what motivates you is what can i do so um actual practical things about what you can actually do in terms of this active Mm. hope idea um motivates me so so practical things but also um how to how to think so you know instead of getting depressed how can we think about this in a way that's actually going to move us forward? I was talking to a psychiatrist, not psychiatrist, psychologist, about that exact thing mm-hmm. the other day. Mm. And uh, he said, um, he was talking about Darwin's theory mm-hmm. of, of uh, survival of the fittest yeah. and, yeah. and uh, evolution. Now, he was ta- I was talking to him about uh, the shock tactics of getting the message across about mm-hmm. the environment. And he was saying that he was concerned that by not giving out a stark warning to everybody, mm. it's going to get in the way of uh, Darwin's theory, because he was saying that um, to not show people how bad it could be is preventing the psychological process of processing all that, the shock, the horror, the fear, and coming through and finding the solutions. So he was saying by not actually saying how bad it is, it's preventing the natural psychological process we need to go through for the survival of the fittest, for the species to survive. I thought that was a fascinating debate. Okay, I, I, I'll adapt what I was saying yeah. in that game. I, there does need to be the shock message because yeah. it's the reality. But that's on its own is not enough. No, no, no. So no, that's no. what I would say. Yeah. So the shock message I got that, that really did it for me was when I went to a, 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 a talk where a strike for, strike for Climate student was going yeah. to talk. And she was 16. And I thought, oh, you know, blimey, public speaking 16. I never did that. And she came out with this line <coughs> halfway through the talk that goes, our grandchildren may not grow old. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that was a hammer in my face, yeah. that was. Um, 
<coughs> you know, but something really that shocking. So, I mean, she was 16. Her grandchildren don't grow old. Yeah. That's actually how far we are yeah. from falling off the cliff. The cliff not far away yeah. at all. Um, and, you know, I, I think I didn't, I didn't have any way of measuring it. I didn't have a ruler that yeah. could kind of somehow fit this thing. Do you know? Um, I do now. Yeah. And, you know, there's... Did you get it from Ryman's? I do. I got it from a nice blue tiny yeah. thing. Anyway, so, you know, I just... I think everybody's different, aren't Shout they? Shout <laughs> Twanging. It's yeah. the one that twang. Um, we're getting distracted, aren't we? Yeah, you're not, I was going to say that the, the you're experiencing denial. even the most shatterproof ruler was denial. <laughs> no, denial is something I want to come yeah. on to in another podcast. I was going to say the most, most shatterproof ruler uh, in my experience is never shatterproof. I know. Mm, when yeah. I was younger, I, I was I was always shattering. On a mission. I was always on a mission to shatter my shatterproof. To shatter yeah, yeah, too. That's coming to the end of that question, I think. But something I'd like to share. Uh, I had a, uh, another post, somebody posted on Facebook mm-hmm. who listened to episode nine with Alex Morel, and it was Marga Carrera, and she was originally from Brazil, and she said, "I truly enjoyed the debate. Congratulations." And uh, so she's not actually in Brazil; she's actually in Oxford, but she's originally from Brazil. But uh, we got a Swedish input and a Brazilian input today. Yeah, but we're becoming truly a global podcast aren't we Stuart yeah. thanks very much for the comment um, I think we've covered that question I will just read it out just one more time um, and as you're listening to this uh, have a think about how you specifically answer this question uh, Stuart's question was adapting is a key to success so why in the West does it appear we don't want to adapt to survive um, yeah that's the question um, so and on, uh, if you want to listen to uh, other uh, questions that we debate on this podcast, William's posting on Instagram short snippets. Yeah, so you, you, yeah, you'll, that's a, a good in to this podcast. Yeah. You, you get the actually often I'm what I'm posting is I'm actually posting the question, and then on specifically on Instagram, if you want to reply to that question, you can put it in the comments or you can message us directly through Instagram. We also are on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and you can email us at thepeoplescountryside at gmail.com. Um, this has been episode 11 of the People's Countryside Environmental Debate Podcast. I will go through the roll call again with me, William Manklow, and should we go with the guest? Guest? Trio Watson from Trio Space for Me. And me, Stuart, the Wild Man member. So I'd like to thank you for uh, joining us on this episode, and we'll see you in the, the next one. I know what the outtake will be. <laughs> what the f-